What is up, freaks? It's your boy, Marty Bent. I just startled our boy, Matt Odell, who's sitting across from me in person. We're here. About to record Rabbit Hole Recap. What's going on, Matt? We haven't been in person in a minute. It's been a while. You've been traveling the world. I was traveling home last week. Yeah, it has been a while. It's been like three weeks, four weeks. Yeah, last week you were recording in the in the cellar of your in-laws' house. Yeah, they finally let me out. They let me come home. Um, I was a good son-in-law this this Thanksgiving, so I made it out of the basement. They gave me um, they gave me a glass of water eventually. Grateful, grateful for that. Very grateful for that. Grateful for you, freaks. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Even though we already recorded after Thanksgiving, so no need to rehash the thankfulness that we have. Let's rehash the price. The current price is $7,326.03 according to the TFTC.io ticker. The current block is $606,802. And the current hash rate is 99.96 exahash per second according to our node. Um, pretty volatile week this week. We had a jump up, jump down, a couple of BART, BART charts. Is that what they're calling these days? BART's back. Yeah. It's not really a chart. It's like a BART formation. It's a formation, yeah. Because it looks like uh, BART from The Simpsons' his head goes up, goes flat, and then goes back down the same amount. Yeah. It's uh, very odd. Very odd. It seems a little unnatural, but who knows? Who knows what's going on? It's just like some big market maker fucking around. Yeah. And that's what they do when, when volatility is low and people are, are losing faith or uh, uh, complacent. In the markets, especially if you're a trader, just don't trade. It's not worth it buying hodl stack sets. They just they're hunting like leverage traders, right? So they they can knock them out. Uh, people that are too leveraged uh, short, they can knock them out, and then people who are too leveraged long, they can knock them out um, when there's not that much liquidity. Yeah, so be careful. Yeah, it's not financial advice. Uh, I do not trade. I'm not a good trader. This is why we stack sets. Yeah. Uh, the market makers are out there and they're, they're, they're hunting for you. So be careful. Speaking of hunting, if you're hunting for good stock deals, you can go to the cash app. Now tales from the crypt is brought to you by the cash app. As you know, cash app is the simplest way to send and save money. And now it's the simplest way to try to grow your money. Freaks we're introducing yet again, cash app investing. We're stacking slivers of shares. We're making it happen. Unlike investing tools that only let you buy entire shares of stock, Cash App lets you instantly invest as little or as much as you want. This way, when your favorite company's stock is just a little too expensive, you can still own as little as $1. You can stack sats with $1. Now you can stack slivers of shares with $1 as well. As we said earlier, stacking sats is cool. Uh, You can do that on the Cash App. You can stack sats. You can sell sats. You can send sats. You can receive sats. Uh, It's pretty dope. Uh, it's still there on the Cash App with the Boost program and now Cash App Investing. You can now get in on stocks if you so please. I'm not forcing it because Cash App is directly connected to, to your bank account. There are no four to five waiting day periods for inbound transfers. So you can start investing today, uh, right now. All right. Broker services are provided by Cash App Investing, a subsidiary of Square and member SIPC. And as always, when you sign up, use the code stacking sats. That's one word, stacking sats. And you're going to get $10. And Cash App is going to send. $10 to our good friends at Owls the Cross, a charity very near and dear to our heart and has no affiliation with that dirtbag, Al. Um, so go download the Cash App today at your local app store and start stacking sats or slivers of shares, whatever whatever floats your fancy out there. Um, new ad partner this week. Very excited for this one. Not very crypto related. Uh, Bitcoin related. Excuse What's me. crypto? Hey, what the fuck is crypto? Cryptography. It's very important technology that we have in the world today. Uh, asymmetric uh, leverage against the state for the individual. 
since cryptography has uh, gone mainstream. Shout out to the cypherpunks. This week's episode uh, is also brought to you by our good friends at givewell.org. Giving is hard. When you donate, how do you know what a charity can actually accomplish with your money? Imagine you want to help children. Uh, you found a trust, trustworthy organization that runs different programs. You can save a child's life for, for every $300,000 donated, while the other can save a child's life for 3000 Obviously, you donate to the one that was 100 times better at saving children's lives, but how the hell can you tell that? What GiveWell does in practice is hard to know what charities will do with your donation. So GiveWell spends 20,000 hours each year researching with charities uh, to see what they can do with your money. They recommend a short list of the best charities they found and get, uh, share them with donors like you. GiveWell's recommendations are free for anyone to use, and they don't take a cut of your donation. Learn how much good your donation can do by visiting GiveWell.org slash TFTC. That's GiveWell.org slash TFTC. They accept traditional payment methods and Bitcoin as well. Um, so first-time donors will have their <coughs> donation matched up to $1,000 if they donate through GiveWell.org slash TFTC. So if you guys have any tax implications and you want to uh, donate to reduce your tax burden, you can donate with Bitcoin at GiveWell.org slash TFTC. And again, they're going to match up to $1,000 if you donate uh, for the first time using GiveWell. GiveWell.org slash TFTC. Check them out. This episode is also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. You freaks already know all about them. They're doing dope stuff throughout the Bitcoin space. Uh, in particular, they had their Volts program, which is a multi-sig setup. Uh, you can engage in a two or three quorum or more with Unchained, and Unchained will be one of the keys in the quorum. And if you ever need them to sign a transaction, you can bring them in. Or if you want to move money off their, uh, their platform by yourself, you can do that as well. On top of that, they have the Bitcoin-backed collateralized U.S. dollar loans. Uh, if you are in a little pinch and you're thinking about selling your Bitcoin, don't do that. Unchained is here to let you keep your Bitcoin and will give you liquidity in the form of U.S. dollar-backed loan using Bitcoin as collateral. And then on top of that, they're doing big things in the open-source world. They recently released Caravan, which is an uh, open-source desktop application that will let you set up multi-sigs without Unchained, between you and yourself or your friends and family and whatever it may be. Uh, Slip39, Hermit, and a bunch of other stuff. They just landed a huge hire with Will Cole, uh, XVP of product at Stack Overflow. So it seems like Bitcoin is uh, attracting and gravitating a lot of good um, talent, Unchained in particular. So go check them out at unchained-capital.com. That's unchained-capital.com. Massive hire. Congratulations to the Unchained team and to Will as well. Yeah, I've uh, had the pleasure of meeting Will in person. Uh, throughout the years he's uh extremely smart and very product focused and again coming from stack overflow and that team is is a huge plus for bitcoin so this give well site is interesting uh, i guess they're like a charity etf you like you like donate through them and then they allocate it out i think so yeah i, I did some research we uh we do screen the advertisers here and uh, they seem legit they do seem legit they 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 do have a frequently asked questions page you want to see how they make money they explain that pretty pretty well always good to support good causes it's that time of year freaks think about giving back we got a lot to talk about this week even though we only met six days ago a lot has happened a lot has happened and we'll start with news that dropped probably as we were recording we may have touched on it but we're not positive we did last week bat backed uh saw the highest weekly volume uh that it has since it launched earlier this year like massive in comparison, yeah, pull if you look at the chart, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, pulling it up right now, they had $124 million of volume 
the day before, or excuse me, the mm-hmm. highest highest trading volume day before that was sixty five point seven million week week excuse Not me week yeah um, yeah so one hundred twenty four million last week biggest week before that was sixty five point seven million so almost doubled slow and steady. So in study, I heard some chatter about rehypothecation on back two. What are they collateralizing it with 37% or something like that? If you looked in the fine print, I saw that dude, Alex Cougar, jumped into the fine print. I saw yeah, he was shitting on back a little bit. Yeah. No, I think it's just not physically settled unless you physically settle it. You get the call. Like the interd- in- intraday, when the trading that happens during, before the futures expire, uh, I guess because the main product that people use is the monthly futures. Pretty much no one's using the daily futures. So it only settles once a month. Um, so if you don't if you don't hold the trade, you never actually settle out to physical Bitcoin. Yeah. I think this was about how the contracts are collateralized. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's that's pretty similar to how CME works. Yeah. Um, with like the slight benefit that you can take uh, physical settlement in Bitcoin. Uh, at the end of expiration, if you choose. Yeah, yeah. Um, so be aware those futures products are proliferating. They're getting more mature, and it seems like more people are using them. Um, and while we're on the subject of back, too, their CEO, Kelly Lafleur, has tapped uh, has been tapped as the new George... I don't think that's a... You just pronounced her name like uh, Dodgeball. You think that's how you pronounce her name? Lafleur? Lafleur? Do you remember Dodgeball? The yeah, guy? yeah, yeah, yeah. Lafleur? Lafleur. Kelly Lafleur. I thought Loeffler. Loeffler, Lefleur. I'm going French here. I don't know, but either way, it's, I think this is a big deal, right? That uh, seems pretty big. It seems uh, we were just talking about uh, the exchange, which hit uh, all-time high weekly volume last week, and now I would assume that she is uh, open and uh, supportive of Bitcoin. If uh, At least more so than the other 99 senators, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, well we don't know about Davidson and McHenry. They're, they're, they're reps. Aren't they reps? They're reps. Yeah. This is a governor, though. Oh, senator, the, senator. The governor appointed her as senator because the previous senator uh, resigned over health reasons. Um, so the governor has the power to appoint. Um, and I guess Trump had a recommendation and he disregarded Trump's recommendation and uh, nominated her instead. Yeah, so she's going to join uh, all the sociopaths on Capitol Hill in, in January of, of next year. Um, hopefully she's not, uh, she doesn't succumb to the sociopathic tendencies of the politicians in, in our country. Look, I don't, you know, you don't have to have your hopes so high. Just hopefully she shills Bitcoin a little bit while she's in there. Yeah. You think she'll shill lightly or heavily? Maybe a light shill. Maybe a medium shill. Medium shill would be nice. I guess it depends what, uh, uh, what the situation calls for in any given point in time. But anyway, it's good to have, I think, a Bitcoin advocate, uh, in the Senate. So yeah, shout out to Kelly. Uh, Great to see. Maybe uh, maybe Georgia will be uh, will be a Bitcoin haven in the future. BitPay's down there, right? I was like a little bit triggered because the block wrote in their synopsis uh, that she's from crypto exchange backed. They only offer Bitcoin block guys. Like it's not a crypto exchange. We know you're listening. We know you're listening. It's a Bitcoin exchange, right? It's not a dirty word. Bitcoin is it? Yeah. Brian Armstrong. Yeah, I've been saying it more recently, which I like to see. Um, any of you freaks out there uh, looking to learn more about Lightning, there is a online Lightning conference, the Boltathon. Tickets are currently going for 800,000 sats per piece. 
per ticket. It's about 60 bucks. Yeah, about 60 bucks. But they did this last year. Cool. It was like a video conference. This is the second one. Yeah. Um, you know, Bottle Pay, disclosure, I'm an advisor for Bottle Pay. Disclosure. Uh, they won this hackathon. That's That was how they were born. Um, and I think that was in, in the springtime. So it looks like they're trying to do it as a... Um, a biannual thing every, you know, twice a year. Semi-annual. Semi-annual, yeah. Yeah. Um, and December 6th to 8th online. Uh, again, it looks pretty dope. There's going to be speakers. Alex Bosworth, seeing Christian Decker. This looks like Rusty Russell, our boy Rockstar Dev, and Brick Kelly from BTC Pay are going to be there. Um, Brandon Curtis, who I've actually been talking to from Iron Radar. Juice is going to be there. Bunch of people. Lisa Nugget. I love the idea of the online conferences. I mean, not only is it better for privacy, not only is it more accessible and cheap, um, but yeah, those are the two reasons I fucking love it. Because it's just like anyone from anywhere around the world can can access this content and oh. uh, discuss and compete in the hackathon. They're going to have a hackathon again this this year with, with prizes. Yeah, I attended this year's uh, Baltic Honey Badger conference from right where you're sitting. Yeah, but that's, you know, they just have a good, really good live stream. Yeah. Which is also good to see. You know, you want these conferences should have good live streams. Do you want to talk about OPSEC at conferences? OPSEC, it's like if you care about OPSEC, you don't go to conferences. Yeah. It's like almost. Do you remember the guy at uh, Bitcoin 2019 who was walking around with the. He had like a. Beads like, in front of his face? Yeah. He had like a, a shade on glasses. But like even that, like then you're just drawing attention to yourself, right? Yeah. Um, I know people have gone in masks before, especially if they're speakers. Um, I think that's what Janine did in Berlin. Um, I think that's what Shinobi did in New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like if you care about OPSEC, you really shouldn't be going to conferences. You also probably shouldn't be on Twitter. So yeah, um, we failed in both of those. I was thinking more like, uh, the conference organizers and how they should treat their guests. Oh, I mean, I think one of the big things is just random people filming, uh, filming and taking pictures. Like it's one of the reasons I love bit devs uh, in New York is they have a strict no photo policy. Um, obviously the organizers can, their own filming can be really bad too for people's privacy and they should take note. But on top of that, they should be trying to limit the amount of photos that individuals are taking, uh, at least of the crowd and stuff like that. Like if you're a speaker, your expectation of privacy is, is pretty low. Uh, but even taking like pictures of backs of heads and stuff uh, can leak a lot of information about people who are attending these things, and they should be discouraged. Uh, you know, we have our second uh, workshop today for Bitcoin Citadel, and we have a s super strict no photo policy. Yeah, unfortunately not going to make this one. Got to head home for a wedding, but uh, you guys are holding it down again to chain code, correct? Yes. Yeah. But it's sold out. Do not reach out to them. Don't ever reach out to them. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're very we're unless very you want to join the we're, residency. We're very grateful that they're that they let us use the space and are hosting us. Yeah, and if uh, any of you freaks are out there uh, thinking about getting into Bitcoin development, Chaincode is known for running a pretty good uh, residency program from time to time. So I would look into them. And we just finished the like we have a whole pamphlet that shows. Uh, the whole process that we're teaching. Uh, so I think we're going to release that if other people want to take a look at it. Bang, bang. Bang, bang. Um, yeah, a lot of cool things. A lot of privacy talk this week. Um, what do you think it was spurred on by Peter Wool's yeah. post on uh, extension blocks, confidential transactions via extension blocks? Yes. 
very interesting Reddit discussion yeah. around that. Yeah. Um, and then it spilled over into Twitter. Yeah. So that's what um, I wrote about in the bent this morning. Yeah. So for the freaks out there, confidential transactions blinds the transaction amount. So you can still see the sender and the receiver, um, but you can't see the amount. Or in the case of liquid, you can't see the asset type. So if it's Tether or if it's Bitcoin being sent um, or some other security token, like you can't tell which asset it is it is, and, and what the amount is. So you combine that with something like CoinJoin, which without confidential transactions requires um, equal amounts. Um, and all of a sudden you don't need equal amounts. So it makes CoinJoin way more uh, powerful and effective um, with the main negative being that you're not able to easily audit this full supply of Bitcoin or whatever chain the confidential transactions are running on. Yeah, so that's basically the conversation that has uh, been spurred in the the wake of Peter. I mean, I think I've heard people talking more about these these issues a little bit more recently uh, because of what Litecoin's doing. The, Peter had to answer this question because Litecoin is adding uh, confidential transactions via extension blocks. at least blocks. they're trying to. Yeah, they're trying to. And that's what sparked the discussion, and that's led to uh, an overarching discussion about Bitcoin privacy and auditability and the trade-offs that exist between the two, uh, not use cases, but the two assurances, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, and Monero already has confidential transactions, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the debate is, for you freaks who may not know, is, is we have to weigh the trade-offs if we get... Uh, confidential transactions at the protocol layer, the ability or inability to audit the, the total supply uh, may render Bitcoin sort of worthless in the long run for people who believe it is a uh, system that codifies a sound money. Um, but then for your hardcore cypherpunks who just want to um, transact privately, they will say that is the most important thing and something that should be strived for. I am somebody who thinks uh, this is definitely a gray subject and there's definitely a middle ground i think so much nuance yeah so much nuance uh i i'm not me personally again this is just me personally i'm not trying to imbue my my beliefs on anybody listening right now but i think just observing what's been going on over the last six years that uh makes most sense to uh to try to push privacy to second layers or at least uh, do everything we can before uh, trying to implement at the protocol layer well i mean i think just from you know, there's a balance here. Uh, you need the the token, in this case, Bitcoin, needs to accrue value. Uh, otherwise, the whole system is insecure and you don't have anything to send to someone, right? Um, but at the same time, obviously, people want privacy and, and Bitcoin leaves a lot in that regard. So there needs to be a balance in between there um, where, you know, I think in a big picture way, the way I like to look at it is you should be able to pay somebody without them seeing all your past past and future transactions. Like relatively easily, you should be able to pay someone um, without just giving up all your financial information. Uh, and that needs to be balanced with being able to actually verify the supply. So you need to be able to verify the supply, but at the same time, you should be able to pay someone without showing all your transactions. Yeah. And I think most people agree with that. I think when you put it in a big picture like a big picture, like what's the end goal here? Um, I think most people would agree with that yeah, logic. Yeah, it would be hard not to, right? And, but that is... But I on th- Twitter and stuff, it just goes to the extremes. Yeah. It's just like, 
you know, people are like, everything gets blinded and you you can't audit the supply and people just start screaming past each other. And there's, there's a, Twitter's not very good with nuance. Yeah, Twitter's not a great uh, forum for nuance, for sure. But no, it is, um, yeah, it's something that I'm very excited that the, con- not excited, but I'm happy that the conversation is going on because it is important when I've said this, I haven't said it in a while on the podcast, but I probably about a year or right after the yeah, like about a year ago, about a year after the Hard Fork Wars, I started uh, saying that the next Fork Wars, in my opinion, are going to be fungibility wars, privacy wars. Uh, and I think what Peter's uh, response to that post on Reddit in particular highlights is, again, the amount of nuance that exists, the the different approaches that we could take to try to attain privacy. Um, that w- The one he described on that reddit post is just one way there's there's many other technologies that can be tested and uh, other um, combinations of tech that can be t- tested and stuff like that so it's there's a lot yeah. to take into consideration and i th- i think uh you know we also um i i also was getting shot on recently for saying that lightning is a privacy improvement because um, that subject also has a lot of nuance uh, to say that lightning is a privacy silver bullet uh, is incorrect to say that Lightning has no privacy improvement over on-chain transactions is also bullshit. Um, it's really somewhere in the middle, uh, and as Lightning gets built out, it should become more private. And when you mix it with certain on-chain uh, improvements that we have in the pipeline, it it should get pretty private, I think. Um, and then then you know stuff like combining a coin join, and then after you coin join, you put it onto lightning, you know, on a node that runs through Tor, you go through multi hops, you have, um, amps. So you're able to split up the payment between multiple channels. You have private channels and stuff like that. It gets very interesting. And, and the reason I unequivocally say it's a privacy improvement is partly because it's so hard to use Bitcoin privately to begin with. Um, so there's a lot of nuance there. And then the other layer two right now that's functioning is liquid. Um, which doesn't have that much usage, but they do have confidential transactions. So it would be interesting, I think, to see a coin join implementation on Liquid uh, where you're able to basically swap in uh, with Bitcoin onto Liquid, run some coin joins, and then ideally swap out in a relatively trust-minimized fashion. Um, and that might actually be swapping out to Lightning, which could be very interesting. interesting. So there's a lot of paths that can go down here um, without actually putting at risk the the verifiable supply yeah no and uh, on the subject of liquid too uh, i th- believe bitsy btsc that exchange uh, i believe their derivatives exchange um announced this week that they are they've enabled uh liquid tether with confidential transactions and uh liquid btc on bitsy the exchange so it seems that some exchanges this is something we've been covering too i asked it when we were in or excuse me dallas for Bitblock Boom, that was what I uh, sort of posited on stage. Like, is what like Liquid seems to be the ugly stepchild product of the Blockstream suite, and will it ever gain, gain traction? Exchanges seem like the the first place that it, first place that uh, it would gain traction because of Liquid Tether and confidential transactions. It seems again, this is one exchange, and there might be uh, well, something. Bitfinex w- has Liquid already. Yeah. So you could at least move between Bitfinex and Bitsy. Yeah. Um, you know, high volumes of tether between the two without uh broadcasting without to the whole well, world. Without whale bot following you around. Yeah, exactly. 
so there's definitely i mean that's like the most obvious use case of something like liquid yeah and speaking on uh exchanges adopting these technologies bitfinex also adopted lightning this week too huge absolutely huge which is actually really funny because uh john carvalho who we've had on the pod um posted a tweet uh, like a week ago or two weeks ago about how his deadline for a major exchange adding uh, lightning uh, was coming soon. Uh, like he had, you know, like six months ago, he said it's in the next six months, a major exchange is going to do it. And I responded to him. I was like, it looks like the upstarts and like the new, like stuff like Escher Hub, SparkSwap, Zaps Olympus, like are going to be the ones leading the way with lightning. And then the incumbents will come later. And he was like super confident. He was like, no, I, I don't think that's the case. And I just like left it at that. And it turns out that he was instrumental in bringing <laughs> lightning to Bitfinex. And he's just been working on it for the last couple of months. So that was a little bit, uh, a little bit unfair information he had in regards to that Twitter back and forth. Yeah. So shout out to uh, Bitcoin legend, John Carvalho and the Bitfinex team, Bitcoin legends as well, no matter what you uh, think of their uh legal situations and tether uh they are building cypherpunk technology in my mind and shout out for putting the teams on your back now bitfinex users can send and receive uh, via lightning yeah deposits and withdrawals it looks like there's i don't use bitfinex um but so supposedly there's a limit right now at least in testing phases i think it's like 150 dollars um which makes sense like if you're sending more than that you can just use on chain anyway um, but it seems like it's getting some decent usage. Like uh, our friends who run the unaffiliated TFTC node uh, opened a channel to Bitfinex, and within a day, uh, they had already routed uh, 7.5 million sats through it. So, yeah, and there's good. a bunch of other channels already open to Bitfinex. So it's not like all the volume goes through that node. So it's I think that's pretty. Uh, high usage in 24 hours but it could just you know be people testing it out stuff like that uh yeah no it's good to see people t- i mean it's uh a lot of lightning has gotten a lot of flack throughout the years a lot of uh skepticism has been thrown in its way and uh whether or not people would actually use it and adopt it and slowly but surely it seems like it's happening it's not obviously not fully fleshed out and uh, adopted yet but it seems like good things are happening and and you can also buy bit refill gift cards directly through your bitfinex account now and they just automatically pay bit refill with lightning yeah mr hoddle people are using lightning i see i've seen it i seen it. this is another subject where there's a lot of nuance you know it's right. like usage is happening it's growing um it's not some silver bullet that just automatically means a bunch of people are going to be using uh, Bitcoin for payments, um, but slow and steady. And, and it'll be there when people are ready to actually start spending their Bitcoin. Yeah. We're going to come, come back to this point right here, but I want to circle back to the, um, the conversation about adding privacy tech to the base protocol. And I just want to circle back because I want to share the tweet that I really agree with. And it's by our friend at Zender hashtag Schnorr hashtag taproot at ZND Toshi on Twitter. And he said, I'd like for us to keep the same principle we did with scaling. We try everything before increasing the block size. So let's do the same for privacy. Let's first add Schnorr and coin join schemes to all wallets and see where we can get with uh, coin joins. And then maybe we'll look into confidential transactions on chain or something like that. Yeah, yeah that's how I feel, right? Like yeah. why uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater? Like you can't come back from it if you 
move to something like confidential transactions and then there's undetected inflation and it just takes down the whole system. Um, you try and slow and steady, you know, increase the privacy here. Yeah. Yeah. And again, now circling back to the point where we, where we left off before that circle around, um, Lucas Nuzzi, good friend of the pod. He, uh, dropped a piece this week that, uh, I wrote about earlier this week in the bent and it basically highlights all of the technologies being built around Bitcoin's base protocol. And so all the technologies that will enable the, uh, the use cases that we've been talking about for the first half hour of this episode. And it's uh, an incredible piece. You guys got to go check it out. It really lays out uh, the stack that's building around Bitcoin right now. And it, it's pretty impressive. I really like the chart. The chart is dope. Yeah. So he breaks it down as basically innovations in Bitcoin. And then he breaks it down by layer two, side chains, mining, privacy, smart contracts, performance and usability. And a lot of people like to say Bitcoin doesn't innovate and moves too slow. But once you read this article and actually look at this chart and uh, see everything that's being worked on in one place, it's actually very impressive. Mining, uh, things like Stratum V2 coming out, Fiber, which is the transaction relay protocol that Matt Corallo built for the, the miners and mining derivatives are being built out privacy we just talked about we got coin joins coming uh people are talking about um confidential transactions coin swaps bulletproofs smart contracts mass and taproot are being worked on uh, which enables Groot and tap scripts simplicity um i wrote about earlier this week op check template verify i don't um which is by jeremy rubin op secure the bag op secure the bag renamed we'll, we'll talk about that later but that's something that uh, is also being worked on it's just bitcoin is innovating it seems and so go check out this this piece by lucas uh it's a good good uh one-stop shop to see what's being worked on throughout the space yeah damn right definitely definitely read it or at least look at the chart very good yeah um let's talk about op check template verify let's talk about secure the bag well, what, are you, what is your opinion on it? Well, let's describe it. So 10 days ago, Jeremy Rubin is a Bitcoin core contributor. Um, he has been uh, talking about uh, adding a new op code to Bitcoin. Or is it adding it back? Would it be adding it back? Or is I it completely it's new. new? It's completely new. Um, so let's get into op codes. All right. We got a story to go on. All right. So long story short, Jeremy has been pushing for a new op code to get included in Bitcoin uh, that would enable uh, some cool things. We'll talk about the cool things in a little bit. Step back, opcodes in Bitcoin. What do they do? An opcode basically uh, allows you to run scripts in Bitcoin transactions. And in late 2010, after a bunch of people were reviewing Bitcoin Core uh, and the code and uh, sort of figuring out what opcodes could do, it became apparent that a lot of the opcodes that were enabled uh, basically increase the attack surface of Bitcoin. If people are allowed to run certain scripts within transactions, it could uh, it could spam the network. I believe one opcode is the reason for the 80 billion uh, Bitcoin overflow bug. Um, and so in 2010, late 2010, Satoshi turned off a bunch of opcodes. And since then, opcodes have been somewhat of a contentious subject within Bitcoin. Uh, so whether or not to add new ones or take more away is always being talked about. Um, a lot of people will say that's the reason Ethereum was created because they wanted to do more functionality and scripting via opcodes. And that's why Vitalik will tell you when to go build Ethereum. Well, that's what Vitalik says. Yeah, yeah, but it's bullshit. Um, but yeah. It's so, a money grab. That's why yes. Ethereum was created. Yeah. Um, so opcodes have, again, this very uh, murky aurora, aurora around them. 
and it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, but it seems like, uh, Jeremy is very keen on getting this particular op code that he's working on. And from what I can tell, again, I'm not a developer. It seems very limited in its scope and it would enable cool things. What cool things would it enable? So it would enable things like, uh, for exchanges that are doing transaction batching, uh, they'll be able to do, uh, uh, congestion control. I believe transaction congestion control where you're able to create a certain uh, script template that allows you to bunch or put a bunch of UTXOs in one transaction output and then the opcode would uh, give those individual UTXOs certain capabilities of dictate how they're spendable in the future. I'm not exactly sure. I was talking with it, talking through it with somebody yesterday. I still don't completely understand congestion control, but it seems like just a way to uh, help reduce traffic when when the blockchain is when the Bitcoin blockchain is very uh, busy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not well versed on it at all. Uh, we didn't have it on the list, so I wasn't really prepared uh, to speak about it. So I will just hold it at that, and I hope that um, you know it's a very new proposal. So I hope we see a lot of uh, good discussion around it um, in the next few weeks, and we will definitely cover it more. Yeah, this would help uh, enable cool things like Bitcoin vaults that we've talked about before, where you can. Uh, where you can basically freeze a Bitcoin transaction if it's set up in a certain way. After it's been said, if it's a nefarious transaction, so it would help with that. Um, on top of that, uh, would help with channel factories for Lightning, setting that up and, and uh, recalibrating channels on the go. And, and so it seems like, to me, it would be uh, uh, beneficial. I don't know, though. Uh, if the pushback I've heard is that it's uh, a soft fork for a very niche use case, so it may not be worth it in the long run. We'll see. I want to see uh, more discussion about it. Yeah. And I actually have to look into it. But I did like the earlier name better. I, I can give you freaks that. I, don't, I, I think the... Uh, he switched it because people thought it was unprofessional. It was too childish, yeah. I don't, I don't think Luke uh, Dasher really liked it. What are you going to do? Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. What do you think about Easy Peasy? Easy Paisy, excuse me. So this seems pretty interesting. It's like a Bitcoin account. Uh, it's an implementation of a way to do Bitcoin accounts instead of doing like uh, need, needing to give someone a new address every single time they could have your account ID um, and I guess generate an address from that, right? Uh, or generate addresses, yes. Yeah, because you don't want to reuse addresses. If you reuse addresses or if you like post a tip address somewhere, well, um, then it connects to you. Yeah, so that's actually one of the, the downfalls of Easy Paisy that we're referencing an article that Aaron Van Weerdom wrote in Bitcoin Magazine, basically breaking it down. Uh, and the drawbacks are, so it's an on-chain solution compared to something like Paynims, which is a client-side client uh software solution no, but paynims also has an on-chain transaction, transaction yeah. but this is this pay easy paysy runs via the op code the op return code right which is a bit different than paynims setup right um, and so that's people's knock on easy peasy would enable cool things like uh, chargebacks uh i believe somebody pointed out um well you could do like pull payments right yeah, yeah. um obviously. it's a little bit more flexible and it doesn't require a fork i mean neither does paynims paynims is in the wild right now yeah uh, that's bit 47 payment codes uh, it's in the wild in samurai wallet yeah and this is very very good piggyback on our conversation about op codes uh prior to this uh, that's the main pushback i've seen is that people think using uh op return for for this type of uh 
use case would, would quote unquote spam the blockchain, whether or not there is such thing as spam is you have to pay a fee regardless. Yeah. You're going to have to pay a fee. Uh, but uh, the developer who created easy peasy, who I believe there's like four different types of payments you can make with easy peasy with different trade-offs. Like one of them is basically reusing addresses. So you don't want that one. There's another one that requires interactivity. So like you, the receiver needs to be online. It's a little bit over my head. I would like to see some more discussion on this one as well before I really comment on it further. Um, but another great piece by Aaron, he breaks down all these complicated things uh, very well. Yeah, so this uh, easy peasy was dropped. The white paper was dropped by Spanish developer Jose uh, Feminas Canguelo. Um, and so he, uh, to get around like the, the blockchain spam argument, he's saying you can create a GUI and an interface and just do do bulk transactions batch it um, make it worthwhile who knows though again uh just dropped earlier this week i like matt said i'm not uh completely educated on how exactly it works either but it is something interesting that we will try to keep up with we'll see if it um develops into anything material and speaking of developing into something material it seems like tether is material it's real at least uh some traders were definitely sending U.S. dollars to Bitfinex to create Tether. Yes, yeah, so uh, Nick Carter uh, and Matt Walsh uh, had the former head of Circle's OTC desk uh, on their podcast, On the Brink. I recommend everyone listen to it. Uh, it's just a great podcast in general, but definitely this episode you should listen to. Um, and one of the, he talked about two things that I thought uh, were really worth mentioning. Uh, the first thing is that uh, he mentioned that he created and redeemed billions of dollars worth of Tether while he was at... Billions. With a B. He said with a B, which is pretty crazy, while they were at Circle. And they, at the same time all this Tether FUD was going on about how um, the Tether were being created with no actual backing. And the people at Circle thought about making comments at the time and they just didn't want to get caught up in the whole thing. You know, the New York AG was going after them and stuff was going after tether and they just didn't even want to be involved. So they just kept their mouth shut. I don't blame them. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, he said like the, and this is what we've theorized for a while is that, you know, the actual flow of needing to arb, uh, with these different exchange pairs and stuff, because they were also had their hands, you know, deep in a lot of the shit coins. Um, but specifically Ethereum, they were doing a lot of arbitrage with Ethereum. It's like during high volatile, like highly volatile times and stuff, they had to move large amounts of money into Tether, right? So that's why you see um, Tether issue and spike during those times. It's, it's the reverse, you know, correlation or you know causation or whatever. Yeah, the the volume on the exchanges is inciting the creation of the Tether. Exactly, and then the other thing he mentioned, which I thought was interesting, was. There's a lot of people who theorize that uh, freshly mined coins uh, tend to get a premium because they have uh, less taint than a regular Bitcoin transaction. They don't have this history attached to it, even though Nick did mention correctly that, you know, even freshly mined coins, in, if, if the miner was taking transaction fees, like it's got all those transaction fees in it as well. It's a dirty um, coin. So it's got a little bit of taint there regardless. Um, but... But Dan um, said that that's not what they've seen uh, at the OTC desk at Circle, that they actually, um, 
they actually got to pay a discount when they got freshly mined coins because miners just wanted to be able to get rid of their coins as quick as possible. So instead of there being a premium, it was actually a discount. It was the opposite. And then the third thing that I thought was interesting is that, you know, Circle famously had their retail consumer app uh, that was competing with Coinbase, and then they closed it down during uh, the last bear cycle. Jeremy Lair gave up on um, Bitcoin. Well, that's what a lot of people said was that they capitulated, and then they brought it back um, during the last cycle, but they did it in a custodial fashion where you couldn't withdraw. And what Dan said was like actually behind the scenes, like their OTC desk was taking off, and like the OTC desk originally was there to source coins for the the retail app, and it quickly outpaced uh, the business of the retail app. So there was no reason for them to support the retail app when they were making way more money actually doing the OTC side of things. Um, so that whole narrative, and I mean, I was guilty of it too, where I like shot on Circle and Jeremy Lair and stuff for capitulation during the bear market is like kind of a bullshit narrative. They actually kept going full steam ahead. They just got rid of the retail portion. Yeah, that was very interesting to find out as well. And um, it's a really good episode. Really good episode. And Dan is uh, very charismatic, very very Bostonian. If yeah, you will. absolutely. <laughs> And they talked about their horrible Poloniex acquisition too, which is interesting. Oh, let's just go um, right into it. Poloniex is in, uh, I mean, I want to call it the news. It's more like the, the uh, inquire uh, section of, of Bitcoin gossip this week. Well, I wanted to put this at the end because it's like shitcoin related, but we might as well just talk about it. So Poloniex famously got bought by Circle at the top of last well, 2017. let's back up a little bit. Let's just talk about the nature of these shitcoin casinos. Poloniex was Binance at one point. Um, yeah, yeah. Poloniex was the number one exchange in 2017. It got bought by Circle for a huge multiple, like very, very expensive. Um, then all of a sudden, they had to implement KYC and everything, and their whole market just completely fell out from underneath itself. Uh, and uh, Binance rose because Binance didn't have KYC. Uh, which is what you see a lot with these shitcoin casinos. As they get bigger, they end up having to implement KYC. And then Circle recently just sold it to a bunch of Asian investors who won't say who they are, but it's rumored that, you know, it seems pretty obvious that it's Justin Sun led, um, the, the founder of Tron. Um, so first he bought BitTorrent, added a token. Uh, then he bought lunch with Warren Buffett for <laughs> a ridiculous price. And now he bought Poloniex, a a former major exchange, but still a pretty big exchange, even if the volume isn't really there. Um, and he fucking is doing this with money printed out of thin air, motherfuckers. I mean, look, look I fuck Justin's son. Yeah, he can fuck himself, but I hate that fucking smiley face. He always he's the has, culmination dude. of like he's what every shitcoin founder should shouldn't you know aspire to be, right? Yeah. Like he he like took it to another level. He does his announcements after announcements. He, he copy and pasted his white paper. Maybe he pre-mined the whole fucking supply. He bought a major exchange. You know, now he's putting Tron pairs all over it. They're gonna use Tron Tether. Um the the and there's what we were gonna talk about was the founder of DGB, <laughs> fucking Digibyte, which is another Digibyte's horrible an, shit coin. D- Digibyte, but Digibyte's an OG shitcoin. I thought Justin would show a little bit more respect. It's a fucking garbage shitcoin. Like the founder of that was talking shit about Tron and about Poloniex, and Poloniex just responds from their official Twitter account to the thread and is just like, under careful review, we've decided. <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. I'll read it. Um, last, last, last tweet from Jared Tate was, I am royally pissed my personal data, my friends' and family's data, and other U.S. Digibyte customers' most sensitive data is now in the hands of this circus that is now Poloniex. 
or the Tron Shield Factory, as we should now call it. Thanks, Jer Allaire. Uh, Poloniak's official response, we don't own any U.S. customers' data. All of them are preserved by Circle. By the way, BTW, uh, from a corporate account. After careful review, we decided Digibyte is not qualified for our listing standard. We will delist Digibyte soon. Details to be announced. Always an announcement. So fucking hilarious. <laughs> they just fucking flexed on him. So just the shitcoin wars uh, have hit a new... Like a, a new level. You've never seen anything like this before. This is uh, actually something I was singing about earlier this morning and thinking about writing about, but I didn't really put myself out there yet on this subject. Like, is there a point, like, we know why these shitcoin casinos are spun up. They're very profitable. Is there a point where Bitcoin reaches such an appreciation, such a market value, where the opportunity cost of servicing these shitcoins, even though they're very profitable now, uh, outweighs the profit that could be made doing that uh, if you were to just focus on securing your exchange in a bitcoin fashion no i i think there's it's you know two unique businesses that don't really compete with each other right you'll have shitcoin casinos and you'll have bitcoin focused uh exchanges and brokers you know and then you have like the middle ground where you have something like bitmex who only accepts bitcoin for deposits and withdrawals but then lets you bet on shitcoins right so um, you'll have those three unique businesses and they don't really compete with each other that much. I mean, I guess BitMEX kind of competes with the shitcoin casinos, but like then you have something like Cash App Disclosure, they're a sponsor, or Bull Bitcoin, um, that is just Bitcoin only. Um, you just use it to, to buy Bitcoin and sell Bitcoin and that's that, right? Uh, and I, I don't think they really, they really compete with each other. And I, don't, I also don't think like the shitcoin casinos go away anytime soon because people are gamblers and people like fucking gambling. It's like a major use case of Bitcoin. Why do people put up with just, the Justin Suns in the world? Dude, he's just like, he's like what Vitalik wishes he was. Well, yeah, should we... He's a like, winner, you know? He just like makes it fucking happen. Should we respect him more than Vitalik just because he's like unabashed they, about it? They can both like go fuck themselves, but like I think he's like the pinnacle of what a shitcoin founder like wishes to be, right? Yeah. He like takes everything to like the logical extreme. Yeah. I mean, the BitTorrent flex was like ridiculous, right? I can't believe that happened. Yeah. That's actually it's embarrassing. Yeah, it's sad. That BitTorrent went to Justin's son. It really So like we have to there's BitTorrent the company and BitTorrent the protocol. Like obviously yeah. he didn't buy the protocol, but he bought the company. Um it's just it's just shameful, you know? Like imagine being the BitTorrent guys and selling to him yeah. and just watching him just destroy the brand yeah destroy i mean added a useless token on top is that is, a pump announcement about it is just remind that token as well is justin like, some, the second token is he some um it seemed like like uh what the fuck's the actor's name borat ali g oh uh Sasha Barracone. Sasha Barracone. Is he like a Sasha Barracone doing like... Uh, no, he's completely serious about but he's it. But ruin- he's ruining BitTorrent. He's ruining Poloniak's. Uh, wasn't the Chinese... Well, Poloniak's was already garbage at that point. You know, did he really ruin it? I don't know if he ruined it. No, but that's like his MO. It's just like... I just think it's interesting a shitcoin buying a shitcoin casino, right? Because that is the logical step, right? The next logical step is... And then he makes everything Tron pairs uh, and like Tron tether pairs. Uh, well, yeah. It is the next logical step. Well, you have CZ at Binance. He did the exchange first, and then the shitcoin. And then you have yeah. <laughs> and then you have Udi, who took his trolling to another level. And he like uh, late last week or early this week tweeted out 
that you can now buy Tron on Amazon, and he linked to the Tron movie, um, which, uh, you know, obviously isn't the Tron cryptocurrency, and the tr- and Tron price went up. It Did went, it? Yeah, it like it went up like three percent, four percent because of fucking Udi's tweet. Um, Udi, you better be careful, bro. Yeah, you gotta be careful with your trolling. Yeah, man. Are you trolling or trying to move markets? Do you have but any yeah. positions open? This is what I need to know. Anyway, Tron's a complete joke. Um, you know, but that, you know, sometimes scams pump the hardest. So what are you gonna do? <sighs> be aware. Be aware. Be aware. Be aware. Tell your friends. I can't believe we talked about Tron that that long this early in the podcast, but it is what it is. Dude, we're 50 minutes in. Are we really 50? Yeah, we can keep ripping. Um, I really enjoyed your interview with Matt Alberg uh, about remittance and Bitcoin and Paxful and gift cards. Uh, so you freaks that haven't listened to it, you should definitely go listen to that one in full. Uh, very, very good episode. Yeah, Matt's a Don. Um, thank you for saying that. We, uh, we put together a last-minute interview Monday night, posted that Tuesday morning. Uh, I've written about him three times in the bent this year. First covered it in February. I mean, we talked about his most recent piece last week. Um, basically, we sat down and, and went over why he's doing what he's doing and how he's doing what he's doing. And what interests me uh, is the method to his data collection, particularly the anecdotes on the ground from these traders. He's a man uh, going on these P2P exchanges, Paxful and local Bitcoins, uh, finding the traders, contacting them, and having conversations with them, saying, hey, how the hell are you using Bitcoin? And he ran through a number of different scenarios of in which people across the world are using Bitcoin for very specific use cases, and it's just infinitely fascinating. And we're going to have him on the podcast again uh, in the next three to six months because after we hit record, stop, hit record, we he told like 10 more stories. Listen to the episode, Freaks. Yeah. It's a fucking good one. Yeah. Um, other things you don't have to rush. You don't have to feel. You don't have to feel no, I, rush. We, we can be more concise. You know, I, I don't like when the when the RHRs go too long. So I'm going to rattle off two things real quick. Uh, Wasabi just released their new release candidate. Um, if you go test it and you find any issues, they have bounties where you get paid, so you can earn Sats by testing it. So go check out that link. Um, Tails 4.1 was released. I fucking love Tails. That has built-in Electrum. Um, it's it's automatically uses Tor and it's it's a Linux distro that you just you plug in with the USB drive and then when you pull the USB drive out, uh, everything gets wiped. So it's a very privacy focused uh, Linux distro that is that is run by the Tor project and I just highly recommend that. So 4.1 is released. How big of a USB stick should you get if you want to? Uh, because I mean I don't. They have a. Uh, you can do it with persistent storage, so it keeps storage over time. But I don't like that feature. So, like, if you don't use that feature, I think you can just, like, an 8-gig stick is fine for it. Okay. Uh, which is, like, no one even has that small of a stick anymore. So, you know, you use a 16, a 32, whatever, you should be good. Um, highly recommend. Tails is, Tails is fucking great. Um, the other thing is, uh, did you see fucking Russ, Russ's BTC pay cleats? Yeah, they're fucking fire. Fucking awesome. He's going to, I guess he's wearing them at the game this week. Yeah, so uh, uh, Russell Okung, wow, he just changed his name on Twitter to Bitcoin Cleats Guy. This is huge. Um, so Bitcoin Cleats Guy on Twitter. BCG. I guess uh, in the NFL, uh, players are allowed to get a specialized pair of cleats, and it's my cause, my cleats. I guess this year, Russell wants to bring attention and awareness to one of his favorite Bitcoin projects, which is BTC Pay. And re- really, uh, excuse me, the reason I really like 
his explanation of this writing, go read it, we'll, we'll link to it, um, is because he he saw how BTC Pay works. Like he, he spun up a website and it worked for him very quickly. And that aha moment for him was like, holy shit, I need to be pontificating the software around the world because it is very powerful and basically wants to help uh, enable people to get paid in Bitcoin. He, he, he wasn't lying when he asked the NFL to pay him in Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, we love BTC Pay here. So it's good to see Russell also loves it. Um, you know, if, if Russell needs a hat to go along with his cleats, we have this awesome BTC Pay hat where uh, I think 25% of, of proceeds go to BTC Pay as a donation as well. 25% are going, and uh, you freaks, uh, Black Friday extended into Cyber Monday, which extended into Wednesday. So we had a, we had a big sale this week. Because you just didn't you didn't switch it back. I forgot to switch it back. Classic. I told you, freaks, it was good. I'm wearing the hat right now. It's a fucking dope hat. I and the sweatshirt. The sweatshirt. I think it's my favorite hat. It is. It's very clean. The sweatshirt. We got to get it embroidered. Yeah, we're gonna get the sweatshirts embroidered. The sub freak sweatshirts. Go check it out. Tftc.io/slash/merch. Um, did you see this fold commercial that? I did. Uh, yeah. Oh, shout out. Brecky von Bitcoin and uh, Content Noir put out. Yeah, it's fire. It's a very good commercial. I think it was Brecky at his best. Yeah. Um. It's basically like an American Express commercial, but uh, for Fold. Uh, With Sats back. And I think Sats back is going to be fucking huge. It's going to onboard uh, millions of new users into Bitcoin. Uh, because who doesn't, you know, who doesn't want money back? People love cashback rewards. So Sats back is uh, even better money. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're stacking harder rewards points for Sats. You can look at them as money or rewards. Rewards points. Um, yeah, so shout out to Brecky. That is a dope commercial. Quick one. Uh, straight to the point, too. Really drives home what's going on. That was a beautiful uh, piece of art he had of the Fold uh, logo as well. It was just very good. Just It just seemed very professional. Yeah. I, di- I dig it. Um, one of your favorite topics, staking on exchanges. Binance just launched no-fee Tezo staking, uh, undercutting all the non-custodial It options. is literally the cheapest way to stake your Tezos now which is something that I've been speculating on since December 2017, maybe even a little bit earlier than that. Uh, But I have a thread from December 2017 where I've been tracking this shit. And I think it's fucking hilarious that all of a sudden all the proof-of-stake proponents are like, oh my God, this is an issue. Um, It was fucking obvious. Like, Like, staking will naturally gravitate towards uh, exchanges, ETFs, and other custodians. Um... Because people, first of all, don't want to do it themselves. It's more difficult. And second of all, it's because these exchanges and other custodians will offer incentives like Tezos, like Tezos, like Binance is doing right now, just to draw volume and usage to their exchange. Yeah, this is uh, one of my favorite threads on Bitcoin Twitter. It's one of like the long threads that you that you keep track of over the course of years. It's one of my favorite parts about Twitter. We've been warning you. Matt's been warning you. Pretty crazy. So I think the cat's out of the bag on that one. This is one of the reasons why I like proof of work so much. Um, proof of work was the innovation. Like people say blockchain, that that wasn't the innovation. The innovation was distributed, verifiable proof of work. Proof of work with a difficulty adjustment. Yeah. And I, I think also on top of that, like I think the next realization people will have is that you want to embrace ASICs. Like there's a hard part with ASICs that, you know, in the beginning, um, it'll centralize between a couple manufacturers, a couple miners. But once you get past that point, your chain is way more secure because you have this purpose-built hardware that can't be used anywhere else. Yeah, and at least via observation, it seems that, that mining manufacturing 
uh, space is becoming more distributed. As you know, you've seen the downfall of Bitmain over the last year, and the rise of What's Miner and Canon, and and Silicon's helping with Layer One, I believe, in their miners. Um, yeah, so it seems like it is becoming more distributed. And yeah, the proof of stake. Somebody came out with uh, an article about proof of stake and how it might not be secure because uh, with using Ethereum and uh, as an example specifically because then you have users having to decide if they want to chase yield in DeFi apps or uh, stake in, in, in the protocol. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing is Binance is quickly, I think they're already the top five uh, validator in in Tezos, and they've only been they've only launched this like no, I think it was Tron, right? They're also in Tron. Yeah, they're the number one in Tron. Um, De- definitely number besides one the Tron Foundation, besides Justin Sun, um, but they're top five in Tezos already in like a day or like two days, <laughs> uh, and you have to ask yourself like these exchanges are the easiest to regulate. They're the huge regulatory target. Um, this is one of the reasons why we say don't keep your coins on exchanges to begin with, you know, besides exit scams and stuff like that. So if they're the easiest to regulate and they're securing your chain, like you're going to have a lot of issues. Do you really want, um, these like fly by night shitcoin casinos to be the main, you know, security element of your chain? Like, I think that is just a fucking recipe for a disaster. Yeah. You can't. what if Italic does a long thread against Justin Sun or, or CZ and they just say, you know what? Done. Remember that bullshit where CZ was like talking about rolling back Bitcoin transactions no, or he, trying to roll fuck back that. Bitcoin Don't, transactions? Why would you even bring that up? He because, can't do that. Because he couldn't. He wasn't capable of doing it when he was talking about it. And that FUD alone caused a lot of uncertainty in the market. Imagine if he was the number one validator or like a top validator of the fucking chain in question. Then he might actually be able to pull it off. That's true. Very good point. Yeah. So that's why it's relevant. Yeah. Um, so be aware. Be aware. Is this something... Matt has been warning about for over two years now, and um, it'll be funny. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out in the long run. Um, speaking of proof of stake, while we're on the subject, Ethereum, uh, it seems like they're going to extend their ice age by 4 million blocks in January. I don't understand what the point of the difficulty bomb is, uh, this ice age, where basically the blocks well, take longer to produce forcing a fork yeah, when so, you keep pushing it off. Like, if you keep pushing it off, like, what... And if I remember correctly, so they, in Ethereum, Ethereum has it built into their protocol, again, like the difficulty bomb, um, and uh, also known as the Ice Age. And basically, when they first launched Ethereum, they expected to transition to proof of stake um, pretty quickly. I believe the first uh, estimates of their transition to proof of stake were like 18 months, like pre-launch. This is one of your threads. Yes. And... Um, so they haven't obviously transitioned to proof of stake and this difficulty bomb still there. So what the way the difficulty bomb works is as block after a certain block, the difficulty goes up just naturally. Uh, and there's no difficulty adjustment for it unless you hard fork. And so blocks are slowing down or I believe average block time is supposed to be 13 seconds. It's now approaching like 16 and we'll hit 20 eventually at some point by the end of the year. Um, so they have to hard fork and in the past they've done it twice where they extended it by 2 million blocks this time they're going to extend it by 4 million blocks, which is about 611 days, I believe. So almost two years. Next time they're going to do it by 8 million blocks. Yeah. Well, that's a, well, that's a funny thing. It's like, again, the longer you wait, and this is the thread I'm talking about, and the thread I had that Matt alluded to, like, and the longer you wait, the longer you would be expected to wait. So the longer uh, you wait for Ethereum to transition the proof of stake, the longer you will be expected to wait for that transition. Because, again, the first estimate that I can remember 
was about 18 months. And I believe the justification for the difficulty bomb was, was like environmentalism as well. I don't fucking get it. It doesn't make any sense. Like if you're going to push it off anyway, you might as well just fucking fork it out, remove the difficulty bomb. And like, if you ever get to your theoretical bullshit proof of stake, then you can just move to proof of stake at that point. Like, cause you just, you just create, you create this headache for everyone in the Ethereum ecosystem and you create this attack surface. Like why it seems so fucking unnecessary and just goes to show like that the priorities are still so fucking misguided over at Ethereum. <laughs> well, and the, the arbitrariness of it all, like yeah. why 4 million blocks? It makes sign? no sense. Like in the thread that we're alluding to like last month, November 1st, somebody from the Ethereum foundation tweeted out, we'll probably extend it by another 2 million blocks. And only a month later, like, Oh no, nope, now it's 4 million. So if their minds can change that quickly, like, are they really thinking about this adversarially? Like if you're going to push it off anyway, you might as well not have it. I don't, I, well, I don't get it. Whatsoever. And this has always been my thesis of Ethereum too. They've ruined themselves with precedent. They've set the precedent that they'll never have a hard monetary policy by changing stuff like this on a whim. Like you can never say that the monetary policy will be set in the future based off your prior actions especially if you have centralized proof of stake chain yeah it'd be even easier to fork yeah yeah so beware apparently they launched a test net for beacon eth 2.0 so some progress there's a test net um or test net block explorer test not been, been up. following that uh, i've had to for this thread um is that what we're gonna end it on we're gonna end it on that no i have, I have very positive news all right good out of bottle pay uh disclosure <laughs> part of that team uh, this was a big feature that I teased, I think, last week prematurely. I wasn't allowed to tease it, and I teased it anyway, but it is now live. Um, you can send sats to any person with just a link. You generate a gift link, uh, whichever amount you want. You put uh, a little message in there, and then you copy and paste that link into any chat app. So if, if that's Facebook Messenger, you know, Instagram DMs, Twitter DMs, Signal, Telegram, literally any chat app, you can now send sats. They can activate it with any of their social media handles, whichever one they feel most comfortable doing it. And then they have a fully functioning uh, custodial lightning wallet so they can then make lightning payments really easily. It's really, Boss. a really cool way to gift Bitcoin, I think. Yeah. Um, no, I tested it out a couple of weeks ago and it was so simple. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. They started out at a, like you mentioned earlier, at a hackathon this time last year. No, it was in like March. March. Even less. Not even less time. Excuse yeah. me, earlier this year. Um, Pretty crazy. Yeah. They just build, 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 build. Like I, I said to them, I think like three months ago, um, I was like, I just want to be able to send sats with the with the link. Just let me send sats with the link. And they fucking built it. And I don't want to put you in an uncomfortable situation, but these are uh, shitcoiners turned back to Bitcoin, correct? Yes, yes, they are. They're very they're very aware of that. And they've, they've disclosed it, that they, they, they were working on EOS before. Um, they they found the they found the light, um, but no shit coins will be added to Bottle Pay. Um, before I started working with them, I made them repent. So, um, but but they they haven't been hiding that fact. And and uh, I'm, actually, not, I'm not saying they are. I'm, of, I'm I'm more trying to highlight that people are actually realizing that you can build on Bitcoin. Well, one of the interesting things is like if you can run an EOS node, like you can definitely run high performance Lightning nodes. Like EOS nodes are fucking ridiculous to run. Is EOS one with twenty one validators? Yeah. Yeah, and you have to run like super specialized server you, equipment and shit like that. So you have to be like up and like making decisions. Wasn't there something like with the EOS validators where I don't know. somebody I don't wasn't there in the job? But running the nodes is insane. Like an average person can't run a node. Yeah. But I wasn't trying to uh, poke fun at the bottle pay team. I was trying to highlight that uh, 
some people can be wayward at times and actually realize that, hey, you can build cool stuff on Bitcoin. Go check out Lucas Nuzzi's uh, chart where everything cool that's being built is put in one spot. I just love that you can send sats on WhatsApp super easily now and you can't send Libra still. So <laughs> take that, David Marcus. No, don't, don't. Let's throw it at Zuck, not David. All right. Take that, Zuck. Yeah. Fuck Zuck. Sorry, David. Um, got anything to riff on here? Excited for tonight? Yeah, I'm super excited for this workshop. Uh, I'm excited for doing many more of these workshops going forward. So Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you freaks are liking this, let us know. Let us know. You can buy a shout-out. Get on air. You can buy some merch. Um, let us know if there's any topics we missed, any subjects you want covered in the future. That was this week's episode of Rabbit Hole Recap. Oh, I have one more thing. All right. No, it wasn't. I uh, I went to my friend's giving on Friday last week, uh, and they fucking loved my BTC Pay hat. Uh, so a couple of them are buying hats on our merch store, and they don't even know what BTC Pay is, you know, and they're donating to BTC Pay. So I just thought that was fucking cool. Shout out to your friends. Shout out to you. Shout out to you freaks. Shout out to everybody out there doing cool shit. Peace and love.